Exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I do, I, I do something at Freethink. I've I've been told that it's good. Um, the last couple of weeks, actually, I've been on the road, bouncing around from city to city, many flights, many miles logged. Virginia, Maryland, New York City. New York City again and in New York City again. And I've got to tell you, mm-hmm. New York has a, a new mayor coming in. The pandemic is abating. And and as I've said, I teased it on the Patreon. Keep thinking about coming back. Uh, ex- pandemic is not abating here exactly. Well, maybe it's the roving bands of thieves armed to the teeth mm-hmm. roaming the streets of San Francisco, making me a bit nervous about my future prospects in this, this particular city. Oh, we got them too. Not as much. <laughs> but we should talk about it. And by we, I mean... Matt Welch, editor at Large Reason Magazine. Michael Moynihan, Vice News. Hey. He's been doing some things. He's been shooting all kinds of I stuff. I've been shooting like crazy. Yeah. And Matt Matt Welch was uh, was at uh, you. You attended my, the last. My shoot. name was taken in vain several it times was. from from wow. stage wow. by Nick Gillespie. Pretty hilariously, uh, although. Uh, Moynihan, who's so he take the thing for Vice hmm. with uh, Nick and a guy whose name I can't pronounce because some kind of foreigner uh, from uh, Jacobin, yeah, the, who's uh, who is absolutely great. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's also a terrific. Really nice, really nice guy. I'd love to get him on the podcast. Was he, was he great for a foreigner? Is that what you're saying? No, it was, no, it was he was great, great for, for a, a commie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he only. I mean, and and he did the smart debate thing, and I've I've I think I may have seen Camille do this, or I've seen like people who are good at this stuff do this a little bit in their own way of like you don't bring your full crazy until right at the end. Yeah. So you come off as super reasonable to the crowd, and then by the end, Camille's like, yeah, abolish. All you know, governments and install Dave Smith as the emperor <laughs> god of the universe, and like people are like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, and that's what this guy did in the last like five or ten minutes. Yeah, he started, like, oh, he yeah, started but- screaming. He was like, shoot the kulaks, shoot the kulaks. I was like, <laughs> cut his mic. But uh, up until then, he would probably be a good emperor of the universe. Yeah, no, he would be a really bad emperor of the universe. Well, one of the funniest Uh, things was a guy who actually wrote us after um, uh, via the Patreon. Mm-hmm. who got up and asked a very good question about um, mm-hmm. corporate social responsibility kind of thing. And Bashkar's response was, the job of a corporation is to maximize profits. And I was like, okay, what? Milton Friedman. Um, <laughs> what what full, full free, He went yeah. full Milton Friedman. And, and, our, and our, in, our, our the listener who had asked the question, he has his own business, small firm, like 20, 25 people or something around those lines. And and he's all into the corporate social responsibility, like John Mackey thing, like, hey, let's motivate our people mm. to wake up in the morning and do good. I think he's fighting climate change or some or some hoax. Uh, and uh, and, uh, and he was climate and he was change, great AIDS, the Holocaust, something like that. And the uh, and the commie was just all like, no, it's just maximize profit. Stop bullshitting us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And we're going to cut that. We so we decided this today. I'm going to just reveal it. Who cares? Oh. Um, we were going, that was going to be the last episode. Um, in, it was going to be just, you know, a TV half hour, which is, you know, 22, 23 minutes. 
um, little wiggle room, but you know, in that in that ballpark. And now we're going to make it a TV hour of forty some odd oh, minutes. Hey. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it was a fun debate, that, and that I good. Just yeah, keeping all mean, the Matt Welch references is the most. Yeah, important. we're going to keep all that stuff up front. You know, <laughs> really yeah. how, the how many times was I was I referenced in the course of this production? Uh, hmm. Exactly zero times. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Zero. Maybe after we went to the bar. After I think we might have talked wow. about you a little bit, but uh, not on stage. No, it's no. it's it's just only because uh, Nick has only co-written one book in his life, so he's like anchored to me, yeah. which obviously <laughs> he feels pretty resentful about. Yeah, so he was uh, he was kind of going for it. Yeah, the uh, conjoined twins. It was so it was basically um, the debate between the two of them, and I kind of just traffic copped it um, and made a couple of snide remarks here and there, but uh, but mostly. Uh, I think I don't know if those will make it to the final cut, but, but yeah, mostly I was just uh, just traffic copping. But Nick did a great job. Bashkar did a great job too. Um, really interesting. And I he, he might have referenced this, but the day after uh, the Jacobin had a piece, you know, the Jacobin's not kidding around. I mean, those guys are serious. It's uh, called Jacobin. It's called Jacobin. <laughs> for yeah, yeah, for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it was the Kill Kulak thing. I wasn't kidding about. And there was a piece in it I, the day after uh, that was uh, pretty down on identity politics uh, over there at the, mm-hmm. the Jacobin. It was a pretty good piece too. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, so that was that was been doing that and um, a couple more shoots and and then this uh, this first uh, season of the series is done. So. No, we should uh, we should get him on the podcast at some point. Yeah, yeah, he's a lovely guy. He was um, super smart. He was terrific. And, really, and, uh, would love to have him on. And uh, I disagree with probably everything he has to say, but we'd love to have him on. Great. His hey, uh, you know uh, what? Shout, wanted... shout, oh, shout ahead, out even Matt. before that, just to, to finish the thought. They're about twenty five thirty uh, fifth column uh, hardcore in the uh, uh, in the crowd. Yael and a bunch of others. Heard some of y'all too hardcore. Got kicked out of the bar and everything. What <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> is wrong with y'all? Jeez. And it wasn't the kind of bar that kicks a lot of people out. <laughs> that's that's like, you got to earn that shit. That is an accomplishment. Y'all, y'all got some problems. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's the bar that Foster Brooks walks in and they're like, you know, you're fine. Come on. Just order a drink. I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't even, they're like, yeah, this is time to go. Oh yeah, my god, that was a good one. I feel totally fine. Yeah, I missed that, that, but I did come uh, and uh, after, and there were a lot of drunk people there. And I think it was yeah. probably twenty thirty. But I think there's probably more than that actually in the end. Um, yeah, because we did. Uh, sorry. We did post. Sorry, you posted that. it, Matt, and uh, and uh, you uh, New York based fifth people really really showed up. So yeah, and, uh, and uh, Bashkar also by the way said that a lot of people in his universe listened to the fifth, which I was really happy to to, to hear. Well, welcome, yeah. commies. Yeah, you reds. As they as they should. <laughs> as they should. Um, well, look, guys, there's a whole lot of whole lot of shit's going on. A lot of shaking. In the universe yeah. today. And I, I suppose we should talk about some of it. Um, there's uh, Cuomo Gate, which is, I suppose, Cuomo Gate 2. Or is it Cuomo Gate squared? Or is it the second <sighs> coming? I don't know. Seven at this point. Um, but, but Chris Cuomo of CNN, we talked last time, um, which I think it was a Patreon release. Yeah. Uh, which was also live streamed. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was fun. A lot of we bad ideas. Talk more about that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the Chris Cuomo, who at the time had just been suspended, has not been fired by CNN, and it seems that CNN is refusing to pay him any money, and there may be lawsuits coming, and there could be more coming. And he was fired from Sirius to too, by the way. Was he? Yes. He, His book was also killed. Yeah. Yes, That's book. a. It's a trifecta. Um, he was. He. I mean, he resigned from Sirius, uh, and all the reporting said he was forced to resign. And uh, hmm. didn't want to, and uh, did, and then I think Harper Collins. Um, uh, I, I presume he had to pay back the advance or the first installment of the advance. Um, a book about 
kind of the Trump years and how to fix America, one of these bullshit books. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's really no loss to the culture of that book being, being canceled. Oh, God. Um, so yeah, no, everything he's, it's all un, unfolded and uh, everything's uh, 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 come apart for uh, Chris Cuomo. But I defended him on the, did. On the, the Patreon. On the Patreon. Yeah. yeah, he did. It was a weird defense though. I want to be clear about the defense. It was. You it, denigrated him while defending. I, this was this was <laughs> a defense that was also a long insult. <laughs> um, yes. And my argument, which I feel even stronger about now, because now it is uh, uh, the fire is uh, of most conservatives, mostly conservatives, has uh, turned on Don Lemon. Uh, I think uh, is that his lead in, or he leads into Don Lemon, or they have a show together. I don't even know. But um, yeah. they're kind of that's a, homophobic. But go on. That's homophobic. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and so, uh, well, Don Lemon got in trouble for uh, in these parts where I uh, where I hang out, uh, grabbing some uh, balls, apparently. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. I didn't. Huh. No, it's a, it's a the, the complaint is disgusting. It is actually I disgusting. I do know what it yeah. is. I'm not going to say it. But yeah. uh, but unfortunately, these, egg, why does this stuff not egg has a lot of has a lot of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Has a lot of sex pests. Uh, yeah, hand. yeah. Um, three that I can think of. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. Right off the bat, I can think of. Just yeah. like yeah. prominent media sex pests yes. and yeah. Michael Moynihan. Yeah, That's and you go, you move out to East Egg, you buy you one of those mm-hmm. little teeny sports cars, like the teeniest one you can yep. find. Say, hey, yep. you want to go just, for a ride? Because you can, you can hang it, sneak into places with it, and no one yeah. even sees you. You look well, it's hard to get out. Yeah, that's the thing. Once you get them in, it's hard for them to get. Well, out. I have a button in my car in. that just locks them in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, I, a guy yeah, around the corner nowhere. taught me how to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah. Oh man, yeah. we uh, should get him on the podcast too. Maybe I want he, to. Maybe he needs a new gig. I want to. Maybe but just the, hang out with us every week. The problem is, is that you see these people around, but the COVID is like they're all masked up and they're hiding. So yeah. I'm like, wait a second, is that the is that the one of those sex pests? And uh, we well, should you can always you... tell by the biceps with Chris Cuomo. Definitely yeah. do oh, a him. sex pests uh, spinoff. I think. Yeah, right. just called <laughs> sex pests. Actually, just... that could be a hell of a podcast. Yeah, right? sex pests recorded in East Egg. Do yeah. You... Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. But can have you fixed your garage so that it's a yeah, podcast yeah. studio? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can I mean, you don't have like seventy five thousand shitty sports cars in there now. Just, yeah, like, I have one. one. I have one, by the way. And uh and it's also um I have a, a camera in there. Um and uh, yeah. and now that I have the camera in there I keep on getting alerts in the middle of the night because there are like bats in there. So uh so I don't know if you want to go in that studio. It's full of bats. So, um, but it's yeah. soon going to be full of bats and sex pests. So if yeah. you hang around long enough, um, I'll press the button and it'll lock the garage. <laughs> well, that sounds super You're not hot. getting out, Lauer. Um, <laughs> so, um, but so my defense, it, it, uh, quick, quick yes. defense of him, yeah, yeah, um, sure. was, and the same thing is true of John Lemon, who was accused, uh, I guess, of uh, texting uh, a guy named Jussie Smollett, who apparently yes. was on a show called Im- Imperium or something. Uh, <laughs> and he uh, got a text from Don Lemon who was like, dude, they don't believe you. You know, uh, call another Nigerian. I don't know what the rest of the texts were, but <laughs> it was like something about nobody believes. But the same thing. It's like, ah, they can't be doing this as journalists. And of course, my argument is pretty simple. They're not journalists. And as, <laughs> as such, the j- rules of journalism do not apply to them. So if you are not a journalist, you're like, oh, he's using his sources. And in Chris Como's world, those are called his friends. And his friends, yeah. I mean, his father was the governor and was the mayor. And it was the governor, mayor, 
both. I don't know. Was he? What was Mario Cuomo? Was he the governor or the mayor? I can't just remember. Just governor. It was just okay. governor. Governor, and then perennial. Oh, definitely is he going to run? Yeah. Is he not going to run for president? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And, and speech giver guy. Yeah, yeah. no, because that would mayor was like uh, Abe Beam, and then uh, and then uh, my favorite man of all time. The bald man in the closet who uh, was interviewed by Nick Gillespie, who asked him about his sexuality. Do you remember this? He did. He did. Um, late in life. Yes. Very, very Ed late Koch. in life. Ed um, The great Ed Koch, uh, who I really love, who's very funny. Um, he should have asked Nick about his sexuality. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the right. That's how you do on that you, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ed Koch sounds you like. You claim you're hetero. Yeah. It's all Fauci at this point. Um yeah. But yeah, so like he's not a journalist. Come on, let's 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 not pretend. We all made fun of him for a long time in saying, you know, this guy's just like an entertainer and he's and not a particularly good one. And now all of a sudden he's like, you know, Carl Bernstein, <laughs> like you know, his sources, his you know, all this stuff. It's like, nah, he's a guy pretending to have have COVID in the basement and then just like does uh, squat thrusts for six hours a day. So, but CNN is saying that the reason he was fired, or at least the indications are that the reason he was fired is because he was lying to his audience and to the team at CNN. I'm sorry, did you say that somebody on CNN was lying to their audience? <laughs> Jesus Christ, shut lying, the network down. He was down. Lying, to, lying to his bosses as well, telling them that he was helping his brother, that he was somewhat involved, but then it turns out he's actually applying pressure to try to get these, these tapes of an accuser and do all sorts of other stuff, while also telling members of the audience that he is not doing anything that he's not involved i think the other thing that came out since i made my steering steering defense of mm -hmm. chris cuomo um ethnic related defense yeah should be yeah yes. italian blood boiled up exactly <laughs> yeah i like to protect my brother and i'm like okay I'm fine man um he apparently was accused of uh, some offense um, yes by a woman that he worked with at one point Who's unnamed accuser, yes. Unnamed accuser in this at this point, anonymous, and it appears to be um, a number of years ago. So I'm not sure mm -hmm. why this person's coming out now, but or not really coming out now, but making are you, the accusation. Are you sure why you're not sure that she's coming out now? I mean, that's that's how this happens now. Like it, it is, if, but why? If someone is like wobbling in the ring, and it could just be one more flick on the ear, and he falls down for at least a standing aid count. That's when the accusations come now. Often although, is not. Although there right? have been accusations directed at him before as well, one of which he had to apologize for a woman who says that he hugged her and grasped her buttocks. And I don't know if he made a very specific apology, but he did you know, profusely apologize and apparently reach out to this woman as well to make an apology. So there had been allegations of some sort uh, in terms of that was a contemporaneous apology, right? too, wasn't it? I mean, th there was an email from I think the day after that happened. And he was like, oh, sorry, I guess. Mm -hmm. I misread the signals or something. It didn't seem to be. I mean, trust me, if it was bad, he would have been off the air pretty quickly. How do you go? How do you go ass grab as first play? That's. I guess I'm, maybe I'm not Italian enough. Well, here. I mean, like, you we're just hugging. Don't know the rules, man. It's a you don't know the rules. <laughs> we're hugging. I know the rules. I'm gonna get my hand on your ass. <laughs> I know the rules. When you're right. a star, yeah. they let yeah. them they let do you it. do. They love that. Yeah. Is yeah. how yeah. it works. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, Chris had not ascended as high as he needed oh, to for yeah. that particular move. Yeah. So, but when you're a star, they let you. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. but it's got, it's a pretty bad uh, month for the uh, Cuomo family, I would say. Right? Yeah, it's been, been yeah. a bad go. Yeah, so my, my, go. my defense of him has softened a little bit when all the other stuff uh, came out. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's awful in almost every way. 
but uh, I'm just using the opportunity, uh, the defense opportunity to say that he's not a journalist. So yeah, so I think the, the, the more uh, like salient or complicating factor is on, on Moynihan's uh, approach is simply that uh, CNN, like everybody else uh, in media has been going more and more in high truth journalistic dudgeon over the last five years. And so uh, even as, you know, if you if there's some way to quantitatively measure it, it's clear that they do less journalism. They ask they act less journalistically than before. All you have to do is like compare Anderson Cooper this year to five years ago. And it's like two different human beings. Anderson Cooper mm -hmm. has some skill as at least uh, uh, someone who can ask people questions. Yeah, he's good. Uh, at he's yeah. he's yeah. good. He was really good. He, like some of his uh, uh, moderating at presidential debates has been just top notch uh, mm -hmm. in the past. Um, and his show is embarrassing to watch because he's just sitting there opining all of the time. So right at the time that these people are becoming less and less journalistically serious, that's the more that they interrupt themselves in their monologue to say, we here, we just care about the truth. Yeah. Unlike some people we know, <laughs> a.k.a. all Republicans, but especially Donald Trump. And by the way, have you heard about January 6th? Yeah. Um, <laughs> seriously, you could play. The, have you played the game of like. I mean, you shouldn't because no one should watch cable news. Um, but if you turn on uh, CNN or MSNBC, just uh -huh. set, set your watch. See how many seconds it takes yeah. to get to January 6th. Well, Which is not to, get to say to, that to get, January... to, to get to January 6th or Donald Trump broadly. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, yesterday they were talking about Mark Meadows' um, book and the details in that book about Donald Trump's a battle with COVID while he was president of the United States. The the suggestion being that it was much worse than we knew at the time. How could he lie to us? Yeah, I mean, in the, it's in December seventh, twenty twenty one. By the way, in the pantheon of Donald Trump lies, he wasn't as sick as he said he was. Is really low ranking. But I just sent you both a photograph, and I don't remember that uh, woman from CNN's name. I see yeah, her I don't on either. Uh, but she's uh, she has a, a little jumper on. It says, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, she was doing the news with that uh -oh. gray sweatshirt on that says facts first. Uh, and not just facts first, but oh, facts first man. in a fruity embroidered uh, uh, yeah. embroidered pink. Yeah. Uh, like uh, 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 cursive. Yeah, that was uh, a lowercase uh, cursive. Yeah, that I was first a, of all, it said Fauci first. And yeah, then I thought yeah. it was going to be worse. Yeah. But no, she yeah, was going to have that. Those ones sold out. <laughs> That's not credible. It's not credible. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but but since we are saying a bunch about CNN, I should say uh, Jake Tapper had a bit of a heater uh, this week. Heater he went in uh, on uh, on yeah on China, yeah on NBA, on various other corporations, on the movie industry, the film industry broadly, who've been in bed with Red China, um, and condemned them, insisting yes. that they had blood on their hands and would continue to have blood on their hands uh, because of their dealings with China and their refusal to speak truth to power and condemn the Chinese for all of their various misconducts. Um, it's been a, a week of people actually bashing China or at least um, taking some sort of uh, action that suggests that they're displeased with the Chinese government um, who has, in addition to all of the various human rights violations that we've all heard about um, this more recent scandal with a tennis superstar, I believe her name is pronounced Peng Shui. Is hmm. that right? 
I, well, whatever right? it is, it means she's not a superstar. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she's a Chinese tennis superstar. Yeah, 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 she, sure. um, she accused a fairly high-ranking and, at the time, former um, official um, in China of, of forcing her um, to, to participate in some sort of sex act. Sex act. Um, and it was a very sensational um, circumstance. Apparently, her name... Um, even the word tennis were scrubbed from Chinese social media platforms, certainly not Twitter, because if you're in China, you're not allowed to use Twitter Mm -hmm. Um, unless you are posting on American Twitter and you are an official who has some sort of uh, role in (laughs) pushing propaganda for the Chinese government. There are a few of those. Then you get to use Twitter. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Biden um, announced that there would be no U S delegation at the upcoming Beijing Olympics um, in February of 2022. (laughs) It sounds like other members of the EU may also be joining in bringing Um, the heat, just like Jake Tapper. So so that's, you know, it's a, it's a start. It's something. Yeah. It's something. It's something that the undersecretary of uh, East Asian affairs will not be showing up at the Olympics. Pissed (laughs) off that dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, dude, I got tickets to the whole family. Now I can't go see Peng Shui. I mean, please. (laughs) Gosh. The official, official reaction from the Olympic organizers is that they still plan to hold the Olympics in Beijing, despite people calling for protests. Um, And their position on this sense seems to be uh, that since various governments can't sort all their issues out, there's no expectation that the Olympics themselves as a platform or by way of boycotting a particular set of games is likely to to resolve concerns over human rights, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know, gentlemen, is it not meaningful when the president of the United States publicly comes out and condemns a global power who's involved in all sorts of shenanigans and does bad things. This has been I'm a week happy. for Biden slapping people's hands. He, he also had a, a rough phone conversation with uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, rough, maybe. We'll see. We don't know. But we can talk about that <laughs> next. I'm all in favor <laughs> of American presidents telling the whoever's of red China to uh, not exactly fuck themselves because that's not yeah. impolite, um, but to remind them that they suck. That's yeah, your man. job as the, Amer- the American president. You, good. To, say, to say that you suck, to apply <laughs> uh, uh, moral pressure on all the crap that you're doing. That's normal and that's good. This is uh, It's weird that in America we've lost that ability to do it because we get so tied up uh, in our own domestic politics that uh, i saw someone in a form that i won't uh reveal exclusively but like we're talking about russia and ukraine i'm like you know is anyone outside of uh uh you know is, is this just like 80 to 85 percent all a question of american domestic politics uh the the standoff between russia and ukraine it's like no it's no. a standoff between russia and ukraine and actually uh-huh. it's a big freaking deal in europe for a whole lot of reasons. And a lot of people are kind of upset about it. Like we, we tend to look at it so much through that prism, like, Oh my God, we can't say anything bad about China. Remember Glenn, when we had Glenn Greenwald on this show talking about this very specifically. Um, and he, uh, uh, expressed his own reservations about criticizing foreign governments because he feels like he wants to direct all of his fire at the U S government, which he has more influence over, but also doesn't want to give ammo to uh, people, Mm -hmm. interventionists in the West. I think it's totally normal and good for Americans to do that. I also think that the best analogy, and because I've just invented it in my brain, uh, for the International (laughs) Olympic Committee and movement, it's the Clinton Global Initiative of Sports. 
Okay, man. <laughs> remember the Clinton, Glo- yeah, Clinton Global Initiative? Remember that thing? Sure. Which doesn't uh, does it exist anywhere? Who knows? But it was like a trillion dollars something or other there for about ten years, and then it kind of went away. But what what did that organization do? It would go to Turk Shittystan and say, "Hey, do you want to go to the fancy conference in uh, Switzerland?" Turk Shittystan dictator. Well, you know, donate twenty five million dollars to our AIDS eradication efforts and you're going to sit on stage with Tony Blair and people who have more respect in the world and we're going to help you kind of launder your image in return for your money that we're going to do ostensibly for good. The International Olympic Committee loves to hold Olympics in shitty countries because shitty countries are motivated to look not shitty and they're more willing to pay bribes. And the international Olympic committee has been so corrupted for so many thousands of years, just like the, the, whatever the, the FIFA, um, the international soccer mm-hmm. federation is corrupted. So it, for them, it's great. They don't want to hear about human rights because it gets in the way of their business, which is corrupting themselves, pocketing this money and allowing people to launder their reputations. So we're always doing this with, with China and Russia and et cetera. If you wanted to do a, a, an actual good Olympic movement, you would do it with countries that aren't shitty. I mean, there's nothing you can do, really. I mean, there's this is for us when you do something like, you know, keep officials away from the, the games in China. Because the Chinese don't care, right? This is always the issue. I mean, you know, what happened in Hong Kong was unconscionable. And, you know, a violation of every promise the Chinese made in 1996 and, you know, of just basic human decency and a complete abrogation of any commitment to even, you know, the sort of separate status of human rights that you would get in Hong Kong. No one said a damn thing. No one cared. No one said a damn thing. So this is the Chinese don't expect. I mean, Putin is a is a great example too, because it, you know Putin has been emboldened by by this too. And I'm not saying that you, there is something you can do. There's there's no easy answer to this stuff. But when there when you kind of sit on your hands and say we'll do something symbolic, I like Matt appreciate the symbolism. It's certainly not Jimmy Carter level symbolism, which in you know the 1980 Olympics uh, pulled America out entirely. You know, that was just we're not going to send anyone, which much to the great disappointment of uh, to the great disappointment of of athletes who had been training for four years. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's obviously a bad thing to do, too. But, you know, that those kind of strong actions don't don't uh, really exist anymore, particularly with China, when you realize that there's so much. I mean, look, Donald, Donald Trump's argument here, which was so dumb in so many ways, bait was based on one fundamental truth and one thing that i don't think is a bad thing that he did was that so much of our business uh uh or so much of our goods come from china right i mean i've ordered two things in the past couple of months that were actually shipped from china to my house from somewhere in shenzhen and like that's great it's a lot cheaper the, the bats the uh the car actually <laughs> no um the fentanyl no, pangolins i have a Matt. huge pangolin fentanyl connection collection <laughs> both uh pangolins on fentanyl that's the thing if you sneak the sneak the fentanyl in inside the the pangolins yeah. nobody yeah. check inside yeah. the pangolins and the people yeah no, people COVID. at the border are like these don't look like penguins and i'm like no they're pangolins <laughs> they're the ones that have all the covid so yeah it's, it is there's not a ton one can do but it, particularly when all of these kind of great powers in the, uh, Russia and China in particular uh, know this. I mean, what what on earth is the United States going to do? I think there was probably a, a different vibe in the early 2000s um, around the, the Bush era. And I don't mean because Bush was a sort of cowboy neoconservative, but it was just, you know, American foreign policy was quite different. Mm-hmm. But now 
I just don't, I don't see what the, the, the government could do. I mean, what are we going to do? Sanction China? I mean, no, we can't sanction China. And what we do is we put on, you know, lazy tariffs and then there's response tariffs and the rest of it. And then those disappear at some point. They don't have any effect. Um, so what can you do? I mean, honestly, at this point, not much. So set aside government actions or statements from diplomats or diplomats skipping the Olympics. What about sports stars speaking out on these issues? I mean, Ennis Cantor. Um, freedom. and his freedom. Yeah. Excuse me. Pardon me. Newly minted citizen of the United States is someone who's spoken out on these issues and seems to have done a fair amount um, to help bring attention to the various misdeeds of the Chinese government. But I do think that there's something interesting uh, about prominent superstar athletes with multi, multi million dollar contracts who have business in China. Um, and when they decide to stay quiet and when they decide to speak out, it does seem to be somewhat consequential. I love what the Women's Tennis Association has done with the aforementioned, I'm not going to try to pronounce her name, uh, tennis player, which is basically pull out of China. Say, screw you. Uh, we'd like to see her out of the country or know that she's safe in, in a reasonable way. And yeah, we signed contracts with you, but um, you've mm -hmm. forfeited that trust and you go fuck yourself. Uh, I think that's totally a great thing to do. I love... Um, I love the initial statement by Daryl Morey, then the um, general manager of the Houston Rockets a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. about Hong Kong hated the NBA's swift rebuke of him, hated LeBron James's swift rebuke of him. And also, you're right. I mean, there's <laughs> the, the um, there was especially a moment uh, around the time of the George Floyd protests when the NBA was the first sporting organization to really come back. Uh, we kind of forget about it now. It's sort of a miracle. Like they, this is pre-vaccine. They were all playing mm -hmm. in a bubble in Orlando and brought back mm -hmm. professional sports. It's kind of uh, amazing. I would read a book about that. Someone write it. It hasn't been done. Um, and but they came back and because it was in the middle of all this shit. And there was like uh, you know there's uh, uh, walkouts on some day or like you know forfeited games. People were all mixed up and everyone came out with with slogans on their back about black lives matter. I think uh, there was one having to do with school choice, but it was more weird and esoteric than that. That was really interesting. Um, so at the same time that they're being incredibly outspoken about X, they were ignoring and saying, I'm not, um, I don't know well enough to talk about why, which is what's happening in China. Um, mm -hmm. I love Anish Cantor's, how we pronounce his name, freedom. Cantor. Um, mm -hmm. I love his initiative with LeBron James, just picking a fight and drawing LeBron James on his shoe, getting crowned by the red Chinese is hilarious. And it's yeah. great. And cancer freedom, um, you know, is a backup center who might have another year left. I mean, he's just a little bit above Mike. Jason, yeah. Jason Collins. Uh, no, and, I mean, he's, know, he's, the, he's the, the Colin Kaepernick with the, with the correct politics. <laughs> Basically, yeah. in a way, Although I yeah. do think last season he like set a record for rebounds in a single game for the Celtics. I think that is true. I'm not even so, sure he played for the Celtics last year, so I doubt that. The, I don't know. Anyway, look, the, anyway. the thing that is always true is that you can go out on the court in, you know, sort of whatever, July, August of last year with a shirt emblazoned with all sorts of slogans. But all of those slogans cost you nothing. Those are all free slogans. Things that say, you know, Black Lives Matter is not only cost free, it is actually will hurt you if you don't have it, right, in the culture that we, we live in now. I mean, to take, a, to, to, to take a slogan that says, you know, something about China, I mean, LeBron James couldn't probably find China on a map. 
He just knows that there's a lot of LeBron jerseys that are sold in China. That's the I only calculation. I don't know about that. No, he I not, think he the, could probably find I, it. What, did he go there and get crowned by, by Xi Jinping? <laughs> yeah, and so he knew it was on the... When Space Jam came out, uh, that's he, the whole well, thing. Well, yeah. I mean, again, he doesn't know <laughs> the shit. I mean, he knows the bottom line of this. And if yes. You, but to the point, to the question is, yeah, it is incredibly useful. There was a, a, I mean, everyone of a certain vintage will remember in the 1990s that everybody you were around all of a sudden knew what happened to Tibet. You know, they weren't going mm -hmm. back to the CIA operating flights in there and the Chinese Communist Party taking it over, but they knew what was going on. They knew it was a bad thing. And there was a joke when you were in college that there was like always some hippy dippy person with a free Tibet sticker on the back of their Subaru. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that was to me great there's all these people that don't really know what their kind of the sticker is but they're like i hate the uh, the chinese communist party that was because of the beastie boys and that was because yep. of richard gear was it richard gear that was the one that was uh, yeah uh, a tibet activist and got a lot of shit from china and i think they banned some of his films and i think um martin scorsese made a film about the dalai lama yeah which was favorable obviously it wasn't a negative movie but the dalai lama da dalai lama's not he's not a hundred percent clean. No, a hundred percent clean. But at the yeah. at the time, remember that he was doing like stadium tours. I mean, when I, I remember yeah. when I first got to Sweden, he like it was like live at Globen in Stockholm was the Dalai Lama, and I was like, wait, forty thousand people are going to go see a guy in a saffron robe mumble into a microphone for two hours? I don't get it. But there was that was a thing, and that was because of all the attention brought to it by by celebrities. Now, there wasn't a tremendous cost to them at the time. The Chinese market is rather different now than it was 25 yeah. years ago. And, you know, when you're in the Beastie Boys, you know, you're not going to not sell a bunch of records because the Chinese are mad at you. But all of this is just, you know, it's the same thing when I talk to people in various uh, different jobs, work contexts, people who work different media organizations, people who work in ordinary companies they tell you quietly what they don't want to say out loud but what they want, want to say out loud is incredibly boring and benign it is not controversial to say i'm not in favor of genocide of an ethnic minority in a country but that has become controversial because there's an enormous social cost and a actual financial there's a social cost to those sorts of things in america and there's a financial cost when it comes to, to china so don't i mean make sure you put the black lives matter thing on on your shirt or on your corporate website, because it doesn't have anything to do with the actual politics. Not even time. Camille, you're, Camille, you're out in California, and you swim mm -hmm. in weird ponds. Um, there's a couple that sort of overlap each other. Uh, mm -hmm. One is kind of the, <laughs> the tech bro, center-right, libertarian, weirdo uh, right. groups. They're, they're not allowed to my swinger parties, for for the record. Uh, and then there's reasons. the... Yeah, <laughs> and there then they're the clinically insane people associated with the, with uh, the Claremont Institute. Um, some there's, there's some some I crossovers. I don't know that I'm affiliated with some of those people. You're not. Yeah, no, okay. I'm saying, but like you're you're aware of them. You've been yes. at the, in the same events uh, uh, as them. And mm -hmm. actually, China is a weird dividing line. Some mm -hmm. of those people are like hepped up to hate on China. Like you are missing the boat. China is the threat. Uh, I, I, and, and correct me where I'm wrong. I'm making some generalizations here, but like uh, at the beginning of of the China virus, they, they were really like like absolutely locked in, geared up. This is a problem. That's a lab leak. Uh, but also, just in general, China is a threat. We should be thinking about it. Um, and at the same time, some of the kind of post-Trump 
national conservatives, they kind of naturally go to a more pro-China stance just in the sense that Pat Buchanan was going into a pro-Vladimir Putin stance in the 1990s and early aughts because he's a strong nationalist leader and we need that kind of strength out there. What is the what is your California in like uh, listening to things going on? How do people talk about China in your world? Everyone I know and talk to is generally skeptical of China and is is broadly not supportive of them. Certainly the case amongst most of the tech entrepreneurs that I'm familiar with, even if they have a range of different concerns. But I suppose I'm interested in this related problem that is is pretty consistent with what you were describing about kind of the Claremont Institute. I sent you guys this piece from Insider earlier today, the title of which was uh, Tucker Carlson sides with Putin over Ukraine, saying Biden is wrong to try and stop a Russian invasion. Now, as I mentioned to you guys in the text, I, I, I don't think that's exactly a, a great characterization of the segment itself. Yeah. Well, I would say this. The, fir- the first thing is I didn't watch the Tucker segment, but I read a couple of the quotes from the piece that you sent. Um, mm-hmm. And I have plenty of problems with it. I mean, the the one thing, I mean, it, it's it's an old NATO thing. This is, this is Tucker was never like this. Um, and he, he's only become this person rather recently, but this is an old saw from people um, on certain elements of the right and certain elements of the, of the kind of Chomsky left that blames NATO for everything that happens. But there's a simple calculation here. It's not complicated. So when Tucker says, you know, it's not, you know, he's not threatening Belgium. He's, he cares about his borders. Well, yes. I mean, Belgium's in Western Europe. Of course, he's not threatening Belgium. But he's, you know, he wants to keep his borders secure. I mean, it's literally what he said. And it is absolutely laughable. The idea that Ukraine is somehow, which, which has lost a lot of its territory because Russia decided to, to cleave off a huge chunk of it and say, this is ours. People say, well, you know, historically, Ukraine is uh, part of Russia. That's a debate I'm willing to have with anyone. It's too complicated right now, but it's also mm-hmm. bullshit. Um, Ukraine is a sovereign nation, has been um, since mm-hmm. 1991. And uh, here's, here's the thing. Uh, you have to pay the price for what you did for 100 years in the Soviet Union, which was to brutalize the Ukrainian people, including a forced famine that killed an enormous uh, number and a high, very high percentage, I mean, almost Cambodia-like in, in, in its uh, misery and death. There's actually a film about it, um, a Hollywood film, not a Hollywood film, actually. It's um, uh, Agnieszka Holland who, who did it, the one, uh, I can't remember the name of the film, but it's, but it's a recent film, quite good, uh, about the, that is about the Ukrainian famine. Um, but here's the thing, is that, is that when you say that they cannot join NATO, you're, you're immediately saying that the country has no sovereignty. Because it is, it is Ukraine's decision and Ukraine's decision alone if it wants to join NATO, you're saying, well, you have to, United States and, and the NATO powers have to prevent them from doing so. It's a voluntary um, alliance. I and mean, if they want to be a part of it, they should have a right to be a part of it. Well, it'll make Vladimir Putin mad. Well, tough shit. That's it is literally as simple as that. Tough shit. The thing is, is you can make up as many little tales about how this is antagonistic to Vladimir Putin. Well, I don't really care that it is good. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is Vladimir Putin is not upset about NATO. He's not worrying that there's a 
you know, uh, existential threat on his borders. He believes and has believed for a long time because he does not have the ideology of the Soviet Union because he knows that that doesn't work anymore. But he does have the the sort of fundamental nature of the Soviet Union as somebody who who cut his teeth in the KGB and, and working in East Germany is that he has the same vision of Russia as a great state, which includes Ukraine as part of Russia, as part of greater Russia. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if Vladimir Putin, without firing a shot, without annoying anybody, could expand the borders of Russia to encompass all of the former Soviet states, he would do so, he would do period. It. End of story. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those things that he sees that is probably a fairly easy thing. I don't believe at this point, those 90,000 troops in the border have, I think, become 200,000 or something now. I don't believe that he's about to invade Ukraine. I, I hope that I'm correct about that, and I'm willing to entertain the idea that I could be wrong, too. But the, the, the game that is being played here, this game of brinksmanship, Vladimir Putin is, 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 is creating a crisis. It's not something that, that the Zelensky government or not something that Ukrainians have done. You know, if you can mm-hmm. find that casus belli, you could say, well, you know, in 1939, a bunch of Polish people and, uh, attacked a German radio station. It turned out to be Germans in Polish outfits. But th- you can always find something. But they are not doing anything right now. It is merely uh, uh, Vladimir Putin knowing and the Kremlin knowing that they're in a position of strength. And, and uh, Joe Biden and the Biden administration and, and you know, Europe is, is deeply involved in this, too, because as Matt said, there's a lot of very more real concerns for how this affects Europe, particularly, you know, with oil and gas and stuff. You know, this is not something to just blithely say, oh, NATO, NATO, NATO. I don't believe that Ukraine is going to become a, a member of NATO anytime soon. But that is merely a fig leaf for Vladimir Putin's, you know, uh, expansionist ideas. One question about NATO and the role in things. What did NATO have to do with uh, Russia supporting the breakaway Republic of Abkhazia? Yeah. What did NATO have to do uh, around Georgia? What, do you, what, what did NATO have to do with as soon as Moldova, which is a crappy country, let's be honest, <laughs> as soon as Moldova becomes independent, Russia makes sure that there's a breakaway republic called Transnistria, right? This is 1990E. Or 91 or 92. It's right around there. That And that's the two of many meddlings in their near abroad. NATO wasn't anywhere near close any of that stuff mm-hmm. at all at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back recently to because uh, I covered NATO expansion at the time from the perspective of uh, Central Europe, the Visegrad four countries of uh, Czech, Slovak Republic, Hungary and Poland. And um and I went and reread some of that stuff and the points that those countries would make uh, to Michael's point are important, which is that um, you can't tell them what they can't join. Right. It's it's very interesting. And it's an it's a great opportunity lost, I think, that mm-hmm. Czechoslovakia in particular, um, but some of the other countries at first were like, you know what? The Cold War sucks. It it warped and damaged the world. We just freed ourselves from it. What we'd really like to do is to be part of creating a new European uh, organization that can guarantee security. Guarantee security is the word there. All right. of the crappy countries between Germany and Russia, um, all of them, for the most would part. You, would you call them shithole countries? Matt? <laughs> no, uh, some of them I would. Um, Ar- armpits then. <laughs> but all of them have been run over mm-hmm. multiple times. 
Hungary has lost seven consecutive wars. They're going to lose the eighth. It's going to happen anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. all they do is get run over by. So what do they need? They what do they want? Security get guarantee. When do they want it now? Um, and and you know they would have loved it if the two countries, um, two uh, uh, superpowers receded and that they were part of building something new. Europe was a basket case. After the end of the Cold War, they couldn't figure out what to do. Yugoslavia was splintering. And so they would just sort of sit on their hands, uh, disagree with one another about various things, and then look over their shoulder and say, America, please fix it. This was such a big, big Mm -hmm. problem. And it's underrated. It's underrated. Conservatives have uh, to do a little deep thinking here, because for the past four years, the Russian bogeyman, uh, which Mm -hmm. was so wildly overplayed, uh, in in their influence in American elections and influence over the Trump administration, et cetera. And it was mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. silly that it's become this cry wolf thing on one level. And on another, it's actually affected conservatives in a very stupid way in which they say, well, you know, we were wrong about Putin. He's actually not that bad of a guy. Here, here's the, the analogy that I would I would make. Why are there so many police in that bad neighborhood? Because there's a lot of crime in that bad neighborhood. We kind of talk about this sometimes, don't we? Why would a country like Ukraine want to have a police force like NATO in its country? Because in 2014, the Kremlin took a big part of its country called Crimea. See, if there's no crime going on, then maybe I'd say, well, yeah, I don't know why they want to join. It does actually make a ton of sense. But the fact that you cleave off a huge chunk of the country in 2014 that prior to that, you essentially had a, 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 a Russian puppet that was that was operating in, in, in Ukraine until an actual democratic election uh, pushed them out. And, and now they live in Moscow. I mean, come on, this is not a complicated thing. And if you don't want that stuff to happen, don't make offensive. Um, I mean, not offensive, but offensive uh, military uh, strikes on a country. And guess what? They won't be so paranoid. They won't say, hey, guys, can you back us up here? Because we don't have a military that can take on the Russians. So how about a little help? And I guess the argument is not that they can't, well, people do believe this, that they can't actually, as a sovereign country, make their own decisions, that we should actually step in as the United States and say, you know what, that's a little too provocative. Um, We know you'd like to join, but we don't want you to join. It's like, I think the provocative thing is invading Ukraine. That's the provocative Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the the other thing I would add is that um, especially in the early days of NATO enlargement, the countries that ha- that wanted to come in had to qualify by jumping through a lot of hoops. They had to say, we no longer have outstanding uh, border disputes with our neighbors. We no longer have laws that discriminate against ethnic minorities. These are important mm-hmm. things in that part of mm-hmm. the world. We have uh, you know, established the rule of law. We have X amount of non-corruption happening here. We have some amount of stability uh, and success. Um, I think those were really important integrational things. And in in a way, they're cousins to one of my critiques of how the West has engaged with China and Russia over the years. I think including Russia in the G7 was a colossal mistake, just as uh, including China in the WTO, in my mind, is a colossal mistake. You got to earn that shit. You got to earn that shit. It's not just because you're big and you got nukes. You have to earn your way into the cool clubs. And so for me, I wouldn't. You know, I'm the like there's one out of five trillion libertarians who thinks that expanding NATO to include, um, you know, the Czech Republic was a good idea. I am that person. I've been (laughs) taking heat for it forever simply because I look at from the Czech point of view um, and I and I saw that development and, and they were, again, leading the argument for we don't want that. 
we want a new thing to create. Let us do that. And, and it wasn't done. Um, but uh, I'm totally against, you know, getting Montenegro. Montenegro sucks, people. Like, man, you've, I, it, you've insulted Moldova and Montenegro in the I, same I mean, podcast. Dude, I, I, I mean, it go to some of those places. to be insulted. It's just like, how often does that happen? No, I mean, One like podcast, Montenegro if it's and up Moldova. to me, I mean, uh, Greece and Turkey are in NATO. That's two mistakes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like well, Turkey in particular. You, uh, and Greece is no like. Yeah, uh, they just can't pay their bills. Come on. Everybody's on vacation all the time. That's true. Nice, <laughs> so, nice place. But like, so like make it so that, so Ukraine for me doesn't, does not qualify on, on a lot of different ways. You have to cross thresholds to get there. And I think a big mistake of our more interventionist friends in America is like, yes, where is the border of Russia? You know, I'm going, that country I've never heard of until yesterday. You come to NATO because fuck Putin. That I think is wrong, and I think it's mm-hmm. it, it, and it is seen. But isn't know, it, that where the impulse is now? It's the sense that I get when I listen to some of the more full throated, mm. um, kind of saber rattling coming out of Washington D.C. Not Biden, but but other members of the political establishment. Sure, that's, um, I think that's true. GOP yeah. Senator Roger Wicker, um, who earlier this week I believe talked about the potential for nuclear weapons. Um, Jim Inhofe talked about arming Ukrainians against Russia, and and this has been floated by other people as well. Some of that is obviously very provocative. Some of it may be more defensible. But to further complicate things, we talk about NATO as this voluntary organization. Part of the mandate of NATO is that they're looking for peaceful resolution to, to conflicts, mutual defense. But NATO has also played a role in a lot of American foreign policy situations over the course of the last couple of decades has that role always been positive well I, look i mean the, what tucker carlson says is that you know this is not an organization that is useful anymore and it's a, it outlived its usefulness in 1991 um not really i mean it, there's it is a very very different kind of use case that you would mm-hmm. the NATO exists right now. But, you know, something is like selling people weapons. I think you can apply the same logic of if they want to buy weapons and you can sell them to them. I don't, I mean, Russia certainly doesn't. It's, I mean, where do you think everything comes from in Venezuela, for instance? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. all of this, I mean, Russia's, the, the hand of Russia is all over the world in the same way that the hand of China is all over Africa and is being very expansionist and other uh, you know, soft expansion in, in other countries, too. America's done a lot less of that uh, in the past 20, 10, 15. I mean, look, you can say, well, that's people are probably choking and saying Iraq, Iraq. Like, yeah, but that was that was uh, different. I mean, this is not something that is not very similar. That, that wasn't NATO. That and wasn't no, NATO. it wasn't NATO, but it was also um, a very different situation of like the exercise of American foreign po- power in a very particular uh, context. Did I lose you guys? No, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I, I just froze. No, um, no. yeah, but we're freezing in, yeah, yeah, in, in terror. Uh, freezing in terror. <laughs> we're monitoring. Let's, let's invade uh, Ukraine. No, I just but, like, but there it, was, you, but but NATO has had some role in Iraq, for example. I believe it was like training missions as opposed to combat missions. Well, right? NATO's well, NATO was in Afghanistan is where NATO exercised yes. its yes, and beyond its NATO. By the way, Sweden, yeah. for instance, which is very strenuously avoided and it was a huge debate in sweden for a long time about joining nato and and they have uh, steadfastly refused was involved in combat operations in afghanistan through partnership for peace and like there's mm-hmm. a lot of these organizations that but nato has become this bogeyman is that you know mm-hmm. it does if nato didn't exist 
obviously the administration, whatever administration it was, would be having a conversation with Vladimir Putin about this anyway. The same way that we have conversations where NATO is not involved and has no sort of um, immediate interest because South Korea is not a member of NATO, is that Mm -hmm. why are we in Pyongyang um, having negotiations with Kim Jong-un? Is that these would happen anyway. The fact that NATO is always brought up as this bogeyman that has Mm -hmm. outlived its usefulness. I mean, you don't think there'd be a different... Um, sort of unifying group of these powers and, and alliances? I mean, no, of course there would be. Right. And although it's, and although it's the assertion be- is that that there would be no cause for um, Ukraine and Russia to have uh, this sort of a tiff, but for the possibility that they might join NATO. Anyone who believes that is so fucking dumb, <laughs> is so fucking brain-cripplingly, brain-wormingly fucking dumb that they should probably zip their lips up for like five years just as a basic preventative measure. That's how, like <laughs> fucking grow up, assholes. Yeah. I mean, no, seriously, is, grow up, but, assholes. Look, or, or, at least, or at least the belief, that if I try to put it in the most respectable light, the belief is that it's a local dispute and one that they would navigate themselves um, by losing, it shouldn't and it shouldn't involve <laughs> the United States. I mean, to Europe, it's not a local dispute. It's a local dispute that has incredibly, you know, big ramifications for them. And I understand the idea of saying that America should not be involved in this stuff in any way. And of course, then you get to the NATO argument. I get this is where people make this argument is the Article Five mm-hmm. argument is that because of Article Five is that attack on a NATO. But you know, it, look, it, <laughs> Vladimir Putin, if he invades Ukraine, is not invading a NATO country. It will, right. Article That's 5 important. is not going to be invoked because it's not in NATO, period. Which End Joe Biden said to Vladimir Putin today. They talked about that, and Biden said that explicitly. So. I didn't even mm-hmm. actually see the, the – I saw the photograph of of him sitting sitting in a chair on like a, a, Zoom, a Zoom call and like a huge uh, LED TV. And, come uh, on, man. Stop using that background. Come on, man. What are you doing? Ukraine. <laughs> it's, it's, you don't need Ukraine. It's in Ukraine. Skillipop. Nothing. Nothing just there. <laughs> Who's there? Nobody. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch, but I suppose it was. Does that actually? Was there any of it broadcast? I don't. I would imagine there. I don't think be. so. But, but um, was there, there was probably the perfunctory stuff that they show a bit of. But um, yeah. But yeah. No. Look. It's. Is it America's business? Is the question that you face in in all of these um, conversations? It is America's business insofar as you know NATO, our allies, etc. I don't. But it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a stupid question in a way because America's not going to get involved in that way. It's not going to get involved in a way that, you know, I mean, obviously Venezuela is not Russia's business. Nicaragua in the eighties and even now, by the way, was not Russia's business, nor was Cuba, but these things happen. And America has decided not to sit these things out. There's always this, this counterbalance of, of power, but you know, it is the business of a lot of people in Western Europe. It has been the business of people in Western Europe and we support our allies, but we're not going to put troops in there. And I think that everybody talking right now would be adamantly opposed to any even suggestion that that would happen. That would be absolute lunacy. But to engage in, in the diplomacy uh, as a power that is a countervailing power to Russia and has a, a, a certain amount of influence, I mean, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you should. Yeah, you should. Why, why not flap your gums? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we're not going to 
uh, invade any. We're not going to come to the aid of Hungarians in 1956 and Czechs in 1968, although a lot of neocons wanted us to. And Pol- um, Poland in 1972 Poland 50- and 1980, 81, too. Two, two times of those, the Texan. Perhaps Africa. even East Germany in 53. Yeah. Uh, yeah those, there yeah. were a lot of mo- moments when this could have happened. And it didn't. They weren't NATO allies. And it would have been, I don't know, maybe World War Three. So, like, it's a good thing that it didn't happen. And also you want people to own their own revolutions, which mm-hmm. is something that we should have learned a lot by now. But that doesn't mean that you need to zip up your mouth as if like talking about it and saying, hey, I think what you're doing is really bad. Right. You're a bad actor in the world and and shame on you. And I'm going to do you know, perhaps a symbolic gesture that isn't a huge thing, but it's going to discomfort some of the people in your regime. I will do that and and screw you. And I'm going to go up on the podium and say that that's that's what we should do. That's well, the, like the people who have been c- criticizing NATO and American hegemony and all that kind of shit. Like you should be rooting for that thing instead of rooting against it, because that is that we should be expressing our values. And by the way, getting out of relationships where our values, like at least in the rhetorical sense, are being absolutely violated and made a mockery of like, we should not be participating <laughs> yeah. in shitty human rights events around the world and a bunch of other things. Besides, But we're also in a place yeah. right now that the people who are going to be the most militaristic about this stuff are probably on MSNBC after four years mm, of talking about the bogeyman of Russia. It, would anyone be surprised for a second if uh, if Rachel Maddow became the chicken hawk of uh, 2021 <laughs> as opposed to opposing it in 2003? I don't. I which is which me. is actually all the more reason why you want there to be a a well informed but forceful counterweight mm-hmm. to the most ridiculous hysterical rhetoric to the people calling for violent action right now, kinetic military action perhaps. Um, even if they're talking about it being something that is sort of small, narrow and focused. Um, but I, I, I do want to ask again, because we, we kind of I think it was you, meant, uh, Matt, who mentioned Afghanistan and NATO, or maybe it was you, Moynihan. In either case, I'm wondering if either of you think, and my suspicion is that it's probably not the case, that if NATO didn't exist, that it would have a meaningful that it would have had a meaningful impact on the way U.S. foreign policy has played out since September 11th. Is it is it at all possible that the United States wouldn't have been, say, in Afghanistan for 20 years if NATO hadn't been around to shoulder some of the burden? Um, my, my suspicion is that the answer to that question is no. And my suspicion is that all of the counterterrorism activity that um, NATO, let's say, had been involved in in different in different ways, all the sort of supporting capacities that it had been involved in um, relative to the overall efforts of the United States on its own uh, were probably not that significant. Um, and likely absent though that involvement, the United States would have done much the same thing in pretty much all the same places. I think that's right, yeah. It may have even been a constraining factor, I mean, what my instincts would there, say. There, there was enthusiasm to support America after 9-11, and right. the, the NATO declaration or in, invocation of of Article 5 was part of that, and that enthusiasm went away in a hurry. Really Very quickly, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and understandably so. Like, that's, right. like you know, we should have, if, if we go there, we punch them in the mouth, tell them you can't have a regime that supports people who did this attack and then you leave that right. makes that makes a certain amount of sense i don't think that the organization itself um propels that into happening but it does show i think 
um, part of the weakness of NATO politically as it is right now is that it's right. It, it, the way that it was used in Afghanistan was as a partnership for peace, which is kind of like, all right, America's running this. Who wants, you know, y- you, you're trying to like get a cookie. It's, it's its own Clinton global initiative, right? Like you shitty country over here, you can throw eight troops and then like, you're going to like get an invitation at the white house. Um, and that's uh, an actual robust and now, uh, 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 alliance, you're going to want people who are really super into it and into the mission. And the mission for NATO, frankly, is to defend the Baltics. That mm-hmm. is the mission of NATO right now, as far as I can tell. I mean, uh, maybe other people have different ideas. I mean, it was for the, so long, too. Yeah. The yeah. Baltics came into NATO. The Baltics are part of the wound that Vladimir Putin has based his entire political career on, which is that. You know, in the early 90s, drunken Yeltsin and the rest of them um, let our country get smaller. It's the same mm-hmm. psychic wound in a way that Hungary had after the Treaty of Trianon when it lost, you know, two thirds of its territory. There's a whole substructure of people who are like, God damn it, you know, <laughs> Hungarians need access to the Baltic Sea and the Adriatic at all times. That's normal. And so you can play to, the, to that that fear. Uh, I think Putin would love to retake the Baltics. I also think he has no chance of ever doing that. I think the the Baltics themselves would rebuff him because they're pretty oriented against Russia in general. And that's and they've been thinking about this for a long time. But that's the purpose of NATO. You want to build that kind of solidarity. Any adventure in Afghanistan weakens that solid. What the fuck are you doing? What, what did NATO in Afghanistan in 2020? What does that even mean? <laughs> that is absolutely nonsensical. The purpose of NATO is as a defensive alliance to provide security guarantees to small countries who should be spending money elsewhere. And America should have been for a long time now saying, how do we make this essentially a European organization and slowly but surely withdrawing from it? And they haven't been because we just can't think that way. You know, look, in, in the excuse I mean, NATO, of, of course, is an excuse that is used by a lot of people. And I saw that in the, the quotes that I read from Tucker Carlson. It's been an excuse a long, for a long time that you antagonize Russia by NATO existing. The important thing to remember about big political excuses, and there's a lot of them, and there should be a whole genre of political excuses. Like a good, a good example of this is uh, the embargo in Cuba. Something I oppose, but has not the effect that people claim it has. Well, if you just did that, it would get rid of their excuse. Here's the thing. They always find another excuse. It doesn't have to be NATO. NATO could go away tomorrow and, you know, Russia's not going to take its troops and go like, all right, you know, let's go, Boris. We're going back to, to the barracks in Kaliningrad. That's not going to happen. I mean, this is a larger geopolitical idea that he has had in his head since NATO was up against the Warsaw Pact. The Warsaw Pact doesn't exist anymore. It annoys Vladimir Putin greatly, of course, but it doesn't need to exist for him to have an expansionist mind, nor does it, uh, you know, the the embargo need to exist uh, uh, vis-a-vis Cuba for the Cuban economy to be an absolute basket case. It's a basket case. And I, well, you'd remove the excuse. You don't think the people who make excuses for Cuba would find a different excuse to make for Cuba if the embargo went away? I mean, look, the logic of this is every other country on earth trades with Cuba, including Canada, including Mexico, everything to its south and everything to its east, etc. And nobody ever points this out because, you know, it's an excuse. But the excuse, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make a ton of sense. I just think morally it's wrong. And, you know, whether or not I th- think NATO is a, is a good idea, 
it is mostly these days, I, as we see with Vladimir Putin, a massive excuse. And getting rid of it doesn't make the excuse go away. It transfers the excuse making onto something else. There's a couple other things I wanted to talk to you guys about this week. We mentioned the Smollett trial, which at this point, closing arguments are over. Prosecution, defense have rested their cases. Uh, Jesse, <laughs> Jussie, even took the stand um, and testified for two days in uh, his own defense. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, it it is really extraordinary. he was One, like a human I mean, Twitter is, thread. <laughs> it was amazing. It's a great disappointment that this was not a televised trial, oh, and man. there isn't video of all of this because there are so many highlights that one wishes that they had the opportunity did, did, to see. Did you see that exchange where the guy said, is your face important to you? Which like, by the way, <laughs> it is to most of us. My face is kind of important. <laughs> and he was like, yes, I am the black Cary Grant. Literally he said <laughs> something to that effect. He said, I'm the black he, Cary Grant. He did not. Uh, yes, he did. See that. yes, he did. I did not see that. Yes, he did. That and that's totally how you know that the media not. is biased, that that wasn't the, um, above the fault of the New York Times. <laughs> He's such an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one, it seems that the prosecution, <laughs> just to, to do some sort of court TV legal analysis here, it yeah. seems the prosecution completely has this motherfucker's number. I mean, it is it is so Pretty bad. Easy, yeah. Video of him visiting the spot repeatedly with these two gentlemen <laughs> before yeah. the assault that took place. Him acknowledging that, yeah, I said they were white guys in the beginning. I, I mean, oh, pale skin. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, and now the text messages that have come out um, between him and the brothers, where while they are in police custody, he is bizarrely texting them, telling them that he supports them and he knows that they didn't do anything wrong, only to show up in court and say, yeah, me and the one brother, we were fucking the other one. He's a homophobe. So you can't trust these motherfuckers. They're lying. I had nothing to do with this. I did not set up a fake hate crime on myself. I was shopping for eggs at two o'clock in the Did morning in Chicago. No, I thought he was getting a Subway he, sandwich. He, he, was, he got a Subway sandwich, but he was out like, there he was, also looking for, he was also looking for <laughs> eggs because they, the brothers the told him that he needed oh, to that's have right. four eggs for as part of his regiment. Did they tell him that get, he had to have to a, a foot long? <laughs> anyone address that little gaping we, hole we in the story? We don't know. Yeah, yeah. Or, that, or that he needed to tie a noose around his neck and leave it there um, and, until law enforcement showed up, uh, but there's so many absurd claims in in the, he thought, in the he thought reporting they were on this. Bolo, those white people are putting a bolo tie on them. <laughs> you know, they all like country music. Him, him insisting that he would have never called the police as a black man, yeah. um, and he didn't really want them to show up. But of course, once they were coming, he didn't want to take the noose off because he wanted them to see it mm -hmm. on him. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Um, the, and my favorite moment of the trial based on like all the reporting that I've seen is him assailing the prosecutor for reading his text messages back to him and using the word nigga yeah. while questioning Juicy yeah. and Juicy saying, Hey, Hey, that's offensive. That is offensive for My you as a words white man are to use the word nigga. Wow. Now, granted, I think what's offensive is perpetrating a fake fucking hate crime. Yeah lying about it that's how you know it's hate years now. that's how you know it's hate years. that's how you know it's fake is that he is doing all of the of the social media stuff he's like she said the word that's like a that's, that's like a tweet storm right there then the one like i didn't want to call the police as a black man in america who's also really famous and on a television show and the chicago pd like literally shut down all murder investigations for two weeks trying to figure out what happened yeah, I don't. So crazy. I mean, it was like they literally put all their resources on it. Did you um, see that tweet thread somebody did of all the celebrities' responses to it? 
It was oh. hilarious. There's like 40,000. Literally oh. every tweet from like, you know, oh, that's the girl that was on Facts of Life. She's like, ah, oh, Juicy, <laughs> we're with you. Tootie is here. It's I saw the, the girl from Roseanne or woman from Roseanne getting emotional talking about how because this is a black gay man, people are skeptical of his claims. And it's just... It's just too much. No, it's because he's clearly lying. <laughs> it's, because it, it's because it's absurd. Yeah. Is it at um, this because time? It's totally ridiculous. Is it at this time that I can formally request a reading of the Black Lives Matter? Oh, they they statement paragraph. But we need some. Yeah, we need some context for this. Yeah. Well, Black Lives um, Matter. And if, if there's going to be a reading of this thing, Moynihan, you have it. to do it in black. No, sign. I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> you have to because the person, you have to. the person who wrote this. It will <laughs> literally, you know, find because because I listened to they, this person's radio show, and uh-huh. uh, she is a total fucking lunatic. And this is on the <laughs> BlackLivesMatter.com uh, website, not a subsite, but it is uh, Doctor Melina. Is the, this is the national one. The national yeah. one, Doctor Melina Abdullah, uh, but she did is the co-founder of BLM Los Angeles, and uh, she is also a college professor. I think it. Uh, uh, what is that? Riverside, Matt? Is that is that or is that the thing we're on? Yeah, we're on. We're that, recording on Riverside, but it's Cal, recording. Cal something. Could be, UC, could be UC Riverside. I think it's UC Riverside. She's like the head of a department of like uh, mm. African studies or something. But I just want to read the. It's <laughs> racist. Wanna, wow. I just, I just starting <laughs> off racist. Literally, she's the head of the department. That's not my problem. <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to read this, and I can't. I'm going to read the first. Uh, uh, a couple sentences because <laughs> this is the, the whole paragraph. The first paragraph it's, is just it's totally it's a beautiful it's, yeah. piece of American composition. Yes, as abolitionists, this is, yes, about, this is about Jesse Smith. We approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community. And apparently, uh, the guy that's on Empire is part of your community. Uh, we because we got us. Mm. I don't even know what does that mean. We got us. So let's be clear. I like the fact that there's something completely unclear. It's, it's, a, it's a black. It's a blackism. Okay, great. Um, I guess yeah. I'm not part of the community uh, because no. because we you're got not part us, of the culture, which is confusing. Yeah. Is followed by the we the, we all we got. Yeah, we okay. So let us <laughs> let's be clear because uh-huh. I, she at least is acknowledging that she hasn't been clear so far. <laughs> we love everybody in our community. Even Camille Foster. That's not part of it. She didn't <laughs> say that. Didn't say that. It's, it, say it's that. not about a trial or a verdict decided in a white supremacist charade. Oh, oh <laughs> wow. It's about how we treat our community when corrupt uh-huh. systems are working to devalue their lives. Keep in mind, people, this is about uh, Justice <laughs> Millet. So in a, lying his fool ass yeah, off. Some liar. In, in an abolitionist society, oh my God. this trial would not be taking place. I'm sorry. In a white supremacist society, this <laughs> trial would not be taking place, right? That's in true. an abolitionist society, this trial would not be taking place. In our communities, including Camille Foster, would not have to fight <laughs> and suffer to prove our worth. Well, you're not, he's not on trial for his worth. He's on trial for making shit up. I think he's richer than I am. He's a lot My, richer than you are. Yeah. Like a lot. Yeah. Even yeah. after the fry doing bet. Even doing after bad, the hoax, he's richer than you yeah. are. Instead, we find ourselves. Once again, being forced mm. to put our lives in our value. It, what does that mean? In the hands of judges and juries operating in a system that is designed to oppress us. While continuing <laughs> to face a corrupt and violent police department, who's, who's the chief of police who was orchestrating this was himself black, by the way, uh, which has proven time and again 
to have no respect mm-hmm. for our lives. And of course, um, there's going to be a mention of Fred Hampton sometime soon because of Chicago. And yeah. it is a majority minority fle- police force, which it wasn't in 1968. The chief of police in 1968 was not black. Uh, he was during this um, this whole uh, white supremacist charade. But yeah. It doesn't matter, Moynihan. The problem is systemic. Yes. Don't you understand about that? So there is a huge uh, photograph of Juicy mm-hmm. with his shirt open <laughs> and oh, he has an Africa pendant on it. Africa pendant. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Um, mm. And it says, uh, <laughs> it says uh, Juicy Smollier in the headline, but in the actual piece, uh, it is only by inference. <laughs> There's no mention of him because the man is fucking lying. And that is, so I found this woman has a radio show on like one of these, Democracy Now type things in um, in uh, Southern California. Had you heard of this station, Matt? K KPFK KPFK. Wait, yeah, that's that, that, Moynihan. One quick correction. Yes, quick correction. Yes, there is a mention of him. Oh, there is where it, in in our in our com, in our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially mm-hmm. the Chicago Police Department, over Juicy Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present visible and vocal oh, in the oh, struggle oh, for black oh, freedom. Oh, did mention his name. So here's a question. That one <laughs> That's have. it. I That's the only mention. Of I'm raising yeah. my hand on the Riverside <laughs> video chat. Here is yeah. my question. Uh, you us. can't trust the police. Um, can't. You are uh, a, a, this woman runs like the, the uh, African or Africana studies department. Can you trust Africans? Because two Nigerians are making the claims against him. Oh, no. So, I don't yeah, but they're working with the police. Yeah. They're working with the police. They must have been. You can't trust a nigga who's working with the police. Yeah. That is the point. This, these are the Judases, and he's the black Messiah, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Is, he's the Fred Hampton, and they, I can't, wow. He's got on the Africa pendant. I ain't he, seen them in no African pendant. Yeah. In fact, I saw one of them in whiteface. Yes, and what? one of them dressed up like a, like, a, like a Roman soldier at a gay pride parade. <laughs> he seemed like a hateful person to me. Yeah, I don't know. And, 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 I and for the record, this... his his being in whiteface, I believe he was dressed as up the as Joker. the Joker. Make a difference for Halloween. Context doesn't yeah. matter, Camille. That's what the New York Times told us. <laughs> That's I would what just Dean like Bacay to... told us. I would like to give a shout out to my neighbor. Uh, I, I sit in this sort of sunken basement office here with a tiny postage stamp window, and um, for some reason, over the last couple of weeks, uh, neighbor has been using the backyard that I don't have access to to absolutely smoke all of the pot yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh and it's been like starting <laughs> earlier and earlier but also like late at night here too and it's uh it's very helpful for peace of mind no i i read that statement moynihan uh as an editor and i just think <laughs> that's a lot of words when you could just use two which is motherfucker lied yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just lied yeah he just so very obviously lied she's a we, coward though because i mean she's a coward because she knows that on the black lives matter.com website which uh pays its bills from the checks and venmos from credulous liberals in brooklyn that mm. she can't come out and say it but I was saying that um, KFPF, whatever it's called, um, the Khmer, the, the, the Khmer <laughs> communist uh, radio is KPFK, in California. Yeah. Pacifica. It's got a, it's a Pacifica. Well, set. Manny Klausner used to have a radio show on that. There you go. Fun fact. It's gone fact. downhill since. Uh, so she has a radio show. <laughs> and the last one was her. Um, and I found the podcast of this. It was her and um, uh, what's uh, uh, Harry Belafonte's daughter. Gina uh, Belafonte, uh-huh. 
Um, Mm. Because, you know, her father has been so right about so many things uh, in the world, like Chavez (laughs) and and Castro. Um, And they go on and like she is explicit in they are lying about him and he was beaten up. They don't have looking for the perpetrators. And I'm like, this fucking woman sounded like OJ at this point, like got to find the real (laughs) killers who are not Nigerian. And there's no mention at any point. So she goes on this. It's it's really something to she goes on and starts talking about. this guy, Jelani Day. Have you heard about this case? Some guy who ended up no. dead? Oh, of course. He ended up dead. Mm-hmm, he found mm-hmm. him in a river or something. And his yeah, parents yeah. Uh, had a thing at the Rainbow Coalition with, uh, with uh, uh, not Juicy, but Jesse the other day uh, saying, like, the FBI has to get involved. And she refers to this is how crazy these people are. And you, when you're outside of this world and see some things on Twitter here and there or see a Black Lives Matter statement, you're like, oh, that's funny. And then you realize when you listen into their world like they're lunatics they're like conspiracy minded lunatics and she refers to this jelani day this kid was found to there's no evidence of anything and she says it's a contemporary lynching and that the the um authorities said that uh his uh that his body had decomposed and had been like parts of it had been eaten this is according to her been eaten by turtles but she's like no no his organs were missing I was like, oh, wow. Oh, no, This no, person no. who is a professor mm. at, C- I think UC Riverside, is literally going the, yeah. the organ-stealing route. The and Albanians like, in the bathtub. It's like, oh, story. my God. And then she starts uh, talking about the, the woman's, um, the, uh, who's uh, in, in Minneapolis, who uh, grabbed for her taser, grabbed her gun, and shot the kid. And she's like, you know, they just, they, uh, you know, they pulled him over because he had a... a a uh, air freshener hanging in the like can you believe this they have strings on them that's what they're for it's like yeah i think they did mention that but he also had expired tags which was another thing that they i mean and does that matter well yeah it kind of does in the sense that you realize how these people operate in the world in which they just jettison so easily anything that is just in like incompatible with their vision of the world and it's so bananas to you have to listen to this woman talking about uh juicy and saying like he just like he's just been set up it's incredible setup that's been happening by these white supremacists and i'm like this person isn't a random kook she's a random kook that is like a tenured professor at a state like at at a uc school in in, in california this is the type of people that that teach there can we make this about donald trump for a second sure uh which is to say like in the craziness in the craziness the like the weirdest things that trump would do and mm-hmm. say at some point you, you began to suspect like the point of the exercise is to make people repeat stuff that they know isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah, Juicy true. Smollier's story is so just facially unbelievable. It's Everything. Unbelievable. Who who knows if he's going to like get rung up or not. You know, I don't want to see the guy go to jail and like people and being in jail. I would like to see him like judged by a court to be a motherfucking liar because he is. Um but like uh, it's so facially untrue that people must at some point rally around the lie as an exercise of both power and in-group solidarity. Like, oh, you're that crazy. All right. Yeah. You're on my team. Or like, you'll you know, you'll do what I say. How do they explain the video of the Nigerian guys buying rope and masks? <laughs> 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 that's, that's that's Cointel Pro shit, man, that they were I set mean... up. Listen, you're into what you're into. It was obvious that they were buying that for a sexual encounter with, with him. Juicy. 
<laughs> with Jussie. Yeah, because they claimed <laughs> it's it, not the claim. It all went. It all went sideways. How is that, Camille? Could you? I think you've been reading a bit more about this than than I have. How? What is the <laughs> argument? Because it was, he said like, "Oh yeah, we had bought a bathhouse together, and I jerked a guy off, or we jerked off." Yeah. Well, he was. What is he the was saying argument? He, he was. He's saying he was having a sexual relationship with one of the brothers, uh-huh. but then the other brother, when he finally met him, was weird, and it was like he was he was embarrassed by his relationship with Jussie. So somehow or another, the combination of so they agreed to this stay one Nigerian crime. man being gay <laughs> and not quite being gay enough um, created animosity, and they well, perpetrated it. this horrible act against Jussie and are now lying about it. And they were doing it because they were planning to extort him uh. for billions of dollars. Yet it's not clear it's that a- there is any evidence that's been brought to bear by the defense attorney um, in this case, they are doing everything they can to create some sort of reasonable doubt. So the homophobia <laughs> defense is the 2021. Yeah. It's both a gay Nigerian and the homophobic who Nigerian. Are like, you have both of them. We're like yeah. twins. Um, <laughs> they he's like, I hate my twin brother. But I don't know what that is like Jesse Jackson voice. But um, yeah. so that, just to be clear, the homophobia Nigerian yeah. twin defense. They're also con men. The, the defense yes. attorney's argument is that they are con men. Okay, and that that's what the that's what the jury needs to keep in mind. These Nigerian gay homophobic con men. So this is the same argument as Nicole Brown Simpson owed drug dealers money or something, right? This is this is that Kinda. that that one. Kinda. They also they also use only more evidence. Only more evidence of just his guilt. Yeah, there's also <laughs> more evidence that at least she did a bunch of cocaine. I mean, good lord. The uh, defense, uh, apparently in the closing uh, statement, said something along the lines of, um, look, do you think he'd be stupid enough to stage a fake hate crime in Chicago (laughs) with MAGA people going after him? And like, Uh, yes, the answer is yes. Lead into the microphone. (laughs) Yes, sir, I do. I do abundantly believe that he would be that stupid. Uh, Look at him. He's a moron. He's a a complete fucking moron. Look at his face. That's, he's a moron. Yeah. He thought he would get away with this. His sir, he, his excuse was getting a subway sandwich in the middle of the night in Chicago, and it was negative fifty-five degrees out, and he got a foot-long tuna sandwich. That doesn't make sense. He was doing he was doing dry runs. Yeah, was he was like, doing he's dry doing ones. Recon. Do you, do you go the tuna? He wrote the brothers. He was writing them checks. Yeah, like this is traceable, motherfucker. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, like, well, I they just were training did, me. It's like mm, looked a bit soft. <laughs> this is right? 2019. Yeah. Give them Bitcoin. What are you doing? <laughs> Do you it's, go it's, with a tuna at 2 a.m.? Yeah. Like yeah. of this all the things, crazy. Yeah. I might go with turkey or no, something. I, I'm like, making up the cheese? tuna, but I, he looks like he'd probably get yeah. a tuna at that point. Yeah, I think so. Unbelievable. Oh my, so yeah. homophobic. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe oh, it is. I don't, I'm not even sure at this point because nothing is real anymore, Matt. <laughs> I mean, the, the thought that the thought that I always have in the midst of these ridiculous um, non-troversies and, and granted, the, the Jesse Smollett thing is is definitely a non-troversy. He's a liar. It's embarrassing for him, um, humiliating for anyone who believed him and who came out publicly supporting him and insisting that we ought to pay attention or to still the story. Do. It's, it's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. But it's also it's also illustrative of the degree to which Black Lives Matter as an organization, as a movement, as a political slogan is divorced from the actual awfulness that many people who happen to be Black actually live with day in and day out in terms of the the grinding poverty, the death by a thousand cuts of living in a city where you know, you've got alternate street side parking and you get a bunch of tickets and your car gets booted and you're, 
you're constantly dealing with all of this little shit that turns into big shit. The reality of daily violence, the the shootings in Chicago that are leaving kids dead routinely, homicides that go unsolved. These are egregious things that an organization like this could address itself to. 32 um, people and, were shot in Chicago this weekend. 32. It's just crazy. And then, and then by the way, um, uh, I was looking this up. There are two stories beneath it. Top one is nine were killed, 32 people shot this weekend in Chicago. Then there's a story below it. Three people shot on Monday. Story below that, mm. four shot on Tuesday. I mean, so we're talking almost 50 people shot over a three-day period from this weekend to Tuesday. And one, you know, uh, and one of them was a 71-year-old man who was shot uh, in, in, in Chinatown in Chicago. This is insane. It's not like living in a war zone. It is living in a it war zone. It is absolutely living in a war it's, zone. It's heinous. And that could be the focus of a political movement. But that's not really what this is about. This is, this is a middle management, upper management revolution. This is a movement for people who are already well-established, yeah. who are elites in their own right, and who defend their own kind. And in many respects, Jussie Smollett is a, a, a representative of that particular strata of the community. When they talk about him as a member of the community fighting for us, all we got is us, all of this nonsense rhetoric, defending an obviously guilty man, white supremacy, the system lies, the police lie. It's completely obscene. I hope that is what stands out to people. I don't care, you know, if Jussie Smollett goes to jail for three years. In fact, I, I would prefer that he didn't go to jail for three years. I don't really wish that on anyone. But if he really wanted to avoid that outcome, there was an easy way to do that. Don't make up a fucking hate crime. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't do it. Don't pretend to be lynched and go on television and lie about it. Or at least and think when it you're through asked, if you're going to. <laughs> I mean, that's just the yeah. when part that gets caught. So just much. admit it. Just like, how did Jeez. you not think this thing through? Like, are you really that fucking stupid? And apparently, the answer is yes. What do you think would have happened if? Because we remember that he actually got off. Kim Fox, who I believe is the the DA at the time in uh, Chicago when this was all playing out, she, she ended up like the case goes away. Yeah. Like it just goes away. He gets off. And when he comes out and he faces those cameras, seems like he kind of had an opportunity there to apologize, move on, but he was defiant. Still is he was defiant. And he was insisting that he had been done wrong and that this was victory for him. Had he been quieter, do you think maybe this thing would have just gone away and it would have been okay? Or yeah. does it probably yes. end up turning 100%. around and he gets prosecuted? The, the whole reason that this is interesting, nobody gives a, I don't give a fuck about him. I don't give a fuck about this case. It's yeah. the only reason I care about it is it's funny, number one. And number two, <laughs> it didn't happen. If it actually happened, it wouldn't be funny, but it's funny because it didn't happen. And, it would and number be two, terrible if it happened. Yeah, it'd be terrible if it happened. And number two, because it tells us so much about like how people's brains have been completely poisoned. I mean, you see him on the stand and he's just talking in these phrases that he knows that resonate with people in 2021. Like you can't say that word. That's an offensive word. It's like, dude, you're on, you're on trial and you might go to prison. Like why you're policing this woman's language because <laughs> it's performative. Right. And cause the whole thing is like, he, like, I don't trust the police in, in America. It's like, motherfucker, you knew the police would respond to this in the way that they responded. That's why you did it. You piece of shit. Don't fucking pretend that it's full of like, you know, white supremacists when there's like most of the police force in, in, in Chicago is not white, number one. And number two, because you actually engineered this because you knew that they would respond in 2021 the way that they did. 
they would literally put 30,000 detectives on it <laughs> as like people are getting mowed down, you know, 10 minutes away in, in, in the south side of Chicago. And, and you're taking up all the oxygen because you're a fucking entitled, pompous little prick who is mad that the original fake note didn't do, like, yeah, people are like, well, we don't know. That one might be real. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with the scribbly yeah, no, it's lines. <laughs> it's all is, fake. Is, by the way, you make the scribbly lines because you don't want people to identify your handwriting. People who are a, like random person, like in Saskatoon, <laughs> doesn't give a fuck. They're not trying to hide their their like their <laughs> style of writing because it's never to be traced back to them, number one. Also, not watching Empire. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the <laughs> they other thing. Care. They don't get like, like that was thing, like the, the, the Chappelle thing is like, like these MAGA people watch Empire? Like, no, they're not watching Empire. <laughs> Nobody. But yeah, like that, the whole Nobody. thing is, is operating. You fake this idea that nobody cares about you because of who you are and because of your identity two identities that people don't care about when in reality you fucking did this whole thing because you know people care about that because you know people react to that because everything that you're saying on the stand and your you know dwindling band of defenders actually say is untrue it is not true people do not walk away from this they treat it very 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 seriously too seriously in fact mm-hmm. imagine how much money that he was making at the peak of his earning on that television program and the mat- what i don't know what what that money is is it 500,000 5 million i don't even want to google knows? it i don't but even want to google it i don't want to know it's it's a real amount of money yeah, that okay, i will ever make in my life uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh imagine that's your salary and you're young and you're handsome youngish and and handsomeish um and you feel like that this thing is the is the, the next career play what mm. kind of like mangled shit is in your brain? Like, what are you, what are you after at that point? You've got a successful career. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually pretty like sad and awful. And he's now had a protracted two year stretch of just lying to people in a really embarrassing way. I mean, probably Chappelle cut him down better than, than even the courts eventually will, although with a bit, a little bit less uh, power, but it's just like, it's obvious that you're bullshitting. What are you doing? Hollywood, and why? Hollywood Reporter says he was making, um, in the last season, he was making $125,000 an episode. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So a few episodes per year. So that, that, yeah, that just starts, a few. To, uh, starts to become real money at some point. But no, it's, 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 that's, that, that's a real weird question. Why would you do that if you're making a million dollars a year, $2 million a year? Really? Because because you know that there's upside in it. Yeah. What's the upside? And, and perhaps well, the upside is that you get to go on television with Robin Roberts, and she. I mean, honestly, you didn't know who this guy was before this happened. No, I, I sure didn't. After sure. it happens, he's a household name. He's on television with Robin Roberts, and and she isn't the the least bit skeptical of this absurd story. Mm-hmm. And by the end of his telling this story, with it, it, some of the worst acting I've ever seen. I mean, it was total bullshit. You know, I come really hard at 45. I think that's why they targeted me, you know, because mm-hmm. I talk a lot of shit about the president. And she, by the end of exactly. it. Exactly. That's like, another one of those you. Twitter things. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're so brave. Yeah. yeah. By the way, even if it was real, he wouldn't be brave because he got beat up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fight back, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> um, you lost. Yeah. You lost. And by the way, the back of the envelope calculation, if he's in every episode, of the season, um, he's he's bringing in uh, two point two five million uh, a year. 
And I mean, look, the, the shit is so it's so potent. It's so potent that there are still people defending him publicly. Yeah. That even after this debacle, after all of this embarrassing nonsense came out and it was clear that he was going to have to go to court and fight this. Mark Lamont Hill is like interviewing him and no. is agreeing with him uh, publicly and is not challenging him when he says, you know, I, I, I didn't lie. <laughs> Obviously, I was attacked. That is terrible. I mean, it's there are people who will do this. And apparently Black Lives Matter um, as as an institution, as an organization or at least a leadership <laughs> is willing to defend him now, even now. Um, so my, yeah, my favorite his calculation the, was right. My favorite thing in the that, trial that this there's value in it <laughs> was with, with the disappointment he apparently expressed when he realized the camera was pacing the other direction. <laughs> and he was like, what? what? No, really? I saw like there's a camera there. Oh, fuck. It was the other direction. Man, that recon, we did a really <laughs> shitty recon. Um, yeah, anyway, Justice Millett, um, I, uh, I hope you're uh, vindicated and uh, the yeah. world knows the truth about the racist, <laughs> uh, ni- homophobic Nigerians that you're also having sex with and are also black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. Um, I don't know, man. La- last, thing, last thing before we get out of here, when I was uh, in New York um, and I, I was getting my, my third haircut in, in two weeks because I was just so enjoying being around, being around Ray, the only guy uh, I trust to give me a fade in New York, Ray's Barbershop, down in the financial district. Go see Ray. Go see Ray. Tell him Camille sent you. I heard... Bill de Blasio's voice. And I heard him announcing sweeping mandates, a preemptive assault on COVID (laughs) in response to both the Delta variant and the Omicron variant and acknowledging that, you know, the Omicron thing is not really a problem for us yet, but we need to take bold action because we can't allow COVID to hit us again. So they they, they put in place a mandate requiring all private employers in New York City to have their employees vaccinated. And I believe this goes into effect about two days before his last day in office. December 27th, and he's out (laughs) on New Year's Eve. The ball drops, and we kick out Big Bird once and for all, and Eric Adams comes and does whatever crazy shit Eric Adams is going to do, but it'll be better. Now, uh, as I understand it, Eric Adams, the incoming um, mayor of New York City, uh, has not yet said whether or not he plans to enforce this vaccine. Correct. Is that he was, still correct? Uh, last time I looked, which was about an hour ago, uh, he uh, hadn't said anything because he's on vacation in Ghana because yeah. he's just doing as many drugs back, though. as the prime minister of Finland. <laughs> I think yeah. they might be partying together. The uh, <laughs> prime minister of Finland. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, is that true? Is, are they really partying together? No. But they're they not. But let's yeah. start that rumor. Uh. Oh, my God. Yeah. As uh, Iowa Hawk. I Hawker am points- the mayor of New York. <laughs> Party with me in Ghana. <laughs> my favorite life. quote, by favorite, I mean, I really want this motherfucker to, I don't know. What's, what's, the, what's the thing right before violence? I want that to happen to him. Um, he said this week, as when he was talking about that, that COVID is, quote, the biggest crisis, not only of our time, yeah. but in the history of New York City. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. That's what Bill de Blasio said. The biggest crisis. Yeah, biggest crisis. The biggest crisis, not only of our time, but in the history of New York City, hmm. he says. Yeah, I don't think that's true. 
in the yeah. 21st century, he said that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some other crises in New York City history. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm racking my brain. Yeah. Moynihan, do you remember anything else that happened in the 21st century no. in New York City that might be perceived as no. a competing crisis? No. I'm, I'm not familiar in, with that. Yeah. Yeah. If you blanking. can find one, I would uh, be, <laughs> yeah. be happy to look at the evidence. But as far as I'll I get... know, yeah, nothing happened that I'm aware of. I'll yeah. get some Riverside professors on that one right, right quick. Uh, it's, uh, it's, fucking appalling and he also uh, phrases this as like well we need to do this now right and it's not just the vaccine mandate on 184,000 private employers you can have two people uh, that work for you if they're showing up in person they're supposed to take the the mandate we're yet to figure out what how big the fine is going to be um, uh, not only doing that but like uh, five-year-olds have to show their second oh that's vax. right yeah, that's uh, right. One's not going to be enough. They're going to have to show their second shot uh, in order to like go indoors and do anything of, of of fun or value. And that's really great for all the people visiting New York from Europe for Christmas, which is a mm-hmm. thing that people do because New York is kind of, you know, Manhattan's kind of good in Christmas, right? You can't vaccinate five-year-olds in Europe, you stupid motherfucker. Really, yeah. you can't. Like, there's a couple maybe uh, countries, but generally speaking, you can't do that. So they're going to be in violation of the law. Uh, and he says this, that uh, that he describes it as an incentive <laughs> for people. And he also says that we we're doing this so that we, you know, because we just can't go back to lockdowns again. So if you just accept this, then that, you know, we'll be able to avoid the really bad thing. Um, do, I, do yeah. you, here's a great way of um, <clears throat> really fucking with people. Uh, a vaccine mandate um, to, you know, for private sector jobs, uh, for restaurants, uh, for, you know, Broadway shows, whatever it might be. When uh, in October, I think that these numbers have moved a tiny bit, uh, that uh, black New Yorkers uh, between the ages of 18 and 44, only 28% are fully vaccinated. Mm. So 18 to 44, these are people that can work. Um, fully 75% of them won't be able to go to a job. And that was in October. Those, those numbers have moved, maybe. But if you look at the numbers, and I, I have the, the, the New York uh, City website here. This is the vaccinations by demographic group, uh, race and ethnicity in uh, New York City. Uh, you know, total, uh, fully vaccinated, 49% of black New Yorkers, uh, 62% of Hispanic New Yorkers and 56% of white New Yorkers. So that's barely over 50 uh, and just under 50 for black New Yorkers, barely over 50 for everybody. And saying it's gone up. It's gone up since then. But this is actually today. This is right now on the the current data on the New York city government website says uh, uh, fully vaccinated, at least one dose, 71% of Hispanic, 61% of white, uh, 55% black. But if fully wow. vaccinated, 49%, 62%, 56%. Wow. Uh, wow. That's, you know, Asians are uh, 84%. Native Americans are 97%, by the way. Um, so that's Which has not, been true throughout and everywhere. It's interesting. Yeah, that's not a ton, right? So, you know, the, the, if you have 70%, you know, total, I guess, 60, 71% uh, female, 68% male, that's still a ton of people. And particularly in, um, you know, minority groups that you're often talking about, people um, that you want to focus on and protect and give extra, particularly when you're talking about COVID, that has been the language. And right now, that language should apply to this. 
because that means that, you know, young black New Yorkers, almost 75% or 70% of them would not be able to work under a, a city vax mandate for private employers. That's it's huge. Unbelievable. That's astonishing. It's unbelievable. And so, it's- you know, Adams is going to like, he, if he does nothing, he can blame it on de Blasio. But I think my own opinion. He really can't, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you own, you own, you own that shit. Well, if I mean, you, you don't drop do that anything. and it fucking goes into effect on the 27th. I mean, come on. Yeah. Man. But it's like, unbelievable. What you can do is you get a freebie right here to, to, to reverse this and to yeah. say, look, all of these people, we should not put them out of work. It's been hard enough. It's been hard enough in the economy of New York, et cetera, et cetera. Omicron is a lot of heavy breathing. Uh, we, everybody should be vaccinated. Um, but this is not the way of going about doing it. That seems to be an easy one for me if you would do that. There's some element, and I saw this when our our friend Carol Markowitz wrote a column for Fox News and also went on, I think on Fox somewhere, talking about she has decided as a uh, a Russian immigrant who loves New York to death has decided to move to Florida uh, with her three kids, and it was a heart-wrenching uh, move. Um, and it's because of COVID policies, especially having to do with schools and kids. Um, mm. But I saw the reaction to that, including by people who are friends of mine, at least one friend of mine in California, like a lot of friends in California, um, like looking quickly for the like, can we just say that she works for Fox and therefore loves MAGA? So therefore it's her fault kind of uh, interpretation, which is really uh, not clever and not very uh, uh, humanistic or individualistic. There's this sense now, I think, among people like de Blasio, and I've been spending today looking at all of his various quotes in talking about this and defending it. At some point, like, there's a class element of this that's just really thick. It's people who are just almost taking pleasure in dictating life kind of changing decisions on people for whom they don't fundamentally have respect yeah and like there's something wrong with you and if you don't and i i I get this every time you know los angeles is on the verge of kicking out thirty four thousand students from its school district which is close to it's like eight percent probably of the students because uh they're requiring a vaccine mandate uh, for them and they've already missed some deadlines Hmm. Those students are all going to go into remote learning. It's going to be a catastrophe. We know that remote learning is terrible. Um, these students are predominantly poor and minority. Um, and so their their outcomes are going to be awful and terrible. And I'll write about this. And people from California will say, uh, why don't they just take the vaccine? Like people have <laughs> their their brains have broken. There is no empathy at all. Oh, my God. About like and, and also no historical sense of how fast did we go from hey there's a polio vaccine to hey you can't go to school without it it wasn't six months dude it wasn't four months it's also it's also we've 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 placed so much power in the in the you know persuasion of the government to to show us the way whether it's whether it's you know the cuomo press conferences the constant fauci stuff if you are the government and you are saying these people have to, the, the government in, in California, these people have to leave school, 34,000 of them. And if they're predominantly poor and minority and have, you know, difficult outcomes, as we know already, um, you also have to take a blame, the blame for that. If you are the person who is the tribune, who is out there saying, listen to us, listen to us, you are failing. 
If 34,000 people are not getting, that's not an insignificant number. You have not mm. been go doing a good job of, you cannot only take the W's and ignore the, the L's. That is your loss too. I, like, look, I'm somebody who thinks that everybody should be vaccinated and these are great things and, you know, get boosted if, if that's the thing. I mean, it seems to be um, uh, even more effective. The Pfizer information that I saw today, you know, look, and we have been right in this podcast, uh, you know, both on we did Megyn Kelly's show and when we did the, the last Patreon one about Omicron. Our skepticism of this stuff, let's relax, was well placed. You know, mm -hmm. I am not I am somebody who is both skeptical and bullish on vaccines. You can be both. But if you are going to be that person who says, listen to the state, listen to the government, and we're out there doing this good work all the time, when you're failing, you're not you can't punish people without taking responsibility yourself, too. Yeah, I mean, and, and to be clear, the latest reporting on the Omicron variant is that there it, it does appear to be more contagious it does not appear to be more deadly. And it appears are, to be less deadly, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Which is a great there, are, there are people who are celebrating yeah. its arrival yeah. in some respects because it is spreading faster and it is crowding out other variants, which were, in fact, more deadly, but not necessarily more deadly than the original <laughs> coronavirus, which is interesting because the thing that we ought to keep in mind is virology – uh, not so much 101, but something that we've all kind of learned is that when these mutations occur, because the virus's job is to survive, mission is to propagate yeah, itself. It's... It does not want to kill you. Yes. So the evolutionary pressure is for it to become more contagious and less lethal. And for it to propagate itself in your body and not to kill you. So when we talk about these mutations happening, and we do it in a breathless way. And people are suggesting, I mean, we don't know what, what may happen with these, these mutations. When these mutations happen, anything could happen. It can become far more deadly. That could happen. That's possible. What's much more likely is that it does not become more deadly. And that is precisely what we're seeing occurring. More than that, we're also seeing like lots and lots of cases and many people not getting critically ill at this stage. And it does not seem as though the current public health posture of a city like New York City right now and of many other places that still seem to be focused on COVID zero as a possible outcome here. As a policy goal, it just makes absolutely no sense. The idea that you could keep this out of schools. In fact, the idea that one even necessarily needs to keep this out of school as opposed to take kind of appropriate, appropriate um, steps to Get rid of people who are symptomatic to keep them out, perhaps to do some kind of regular testing. But even that may be too much because the kids are not dying or even getting seriously ill from this for the most part. Um, and even the cases amongst teachers don't seem to be leading to widespread deaths across school systems. We've crossed a threshold in the pandemic and our policy in many places is not catching up to the reality that we find ourselves in. Um, and it is it's maddening. As soon as anything sounds new, everyone forgets whatever they learned over the last nine months. And we should have learned some things. And like the most important thing to learn, said this in the Megyn Kelly show, can, cannot stop saying it every single day, is that, hey, guess what? We have vaccines and we have therapeutics. So it's not March 2020. We are not Australia or New Zealand. The same policies are not 
they don't make sense. And we also have a lot more testing than we have. You know, America is really botched testing. Um, Jen Psaki got into trouble, rightfully so, the other day, mocking a question about testing. Other countries have figured out how to get testing in the hands of consumers. But nonetheless, we still have a lot more testing and we have all these things to help mitigate the virus. So you shouldn't have anything approaching the same kind of responses that we had. And yet, as soon as it's new, people can freak out all over again. Uh, and and what's happening is that it's driving people out of the areas where those freakouts are likely to be the most concentrated. Right now, we're seeing this wave yeah. of New York Times had a piece today um, that was appropriately tough, uh, talking about all these like public school Friday off closures now because parents or teachers are really stressed out so we have to close down school at the last minute um what are they stressed out by stressed out by there's uh because it's been really hard to teach you know this year there's been learning loss i mean it is stressful like the and it's one of the reasons why stressful um yeah uh and don't involve you can't show up you don't need to show up on friday uh and in a way that is said at the last minute so that parents have to completely rejigger their schedules. If you look at the uh, enrollment figures around the country, they are down. They're not up this year for the most part. Um, and over two years, it's down by a lot. And it's concentrated, especially in places in California and elsewhere where they do those types of closures the most. In Michigan, it's mm. been, uh, particularly bad. Um, this is what happens. If you were going to be freaking out all the time about this and your systems are not going to be able to respond in a way that resembles anything like rationality, at some point, people who have to interact with that part of the system are just going to get the fuck out. They're just going to get the fuck out. Like, stop it, you crazy, irrational people. I'm tired of what you're doing. And so I hope Eric Adams comes in and says... Bill de Blasio was crazy and irrational. We're in a new period now. I think the overlap that I've found, um, a brief comment, and we can get out of here after this, I guess, is that the people who are addicted to oppression, Mm. thinking of themselves as set upon all the time by mysterious forces in the universe and their entire lives line up behind this, seem to be the same people now who are addicted to panic. I I find this overlap that, that is pretty strong is that there is a personality type here, and it's particularly found in urban centers amongst a particular class of people that all of us interact with every day. And I I find it astonishing that the people who are reciting the kind of catechism of science all the time are so immune to basic rational ideas about this thing that's been with us for what? Are we almost two years now? How long is it? Close to it. Close Close to to two years. I mean, this is insane. I mean, we have learned so much in so many of the skepticism, the, the, the skeptical notes that we all hit at the very beginning. And we were all panicking, rightfully so. We all should have panicked. That was the right thing to do. But as we all hit skeptical notes very early on saying, well, wait a second here. Um, all of those things turned out mostly to be true, by the way. We have a very good record on this, of the fact that, you know, as young people, as healthy people, as people who are thin and not obese, as people with not without pre-existing conditions, that we were not going to be hooked up to ventilators uh, if somebody walked by us outside. 
I mean, all of these things that people are paranoid about, the outside stuff, the, the it can happen to anyone sort of thing, all of these things that we were skeptical of, we were basically right about. And we've learned from that too. There's been some things that we were wrong about and everybody was wrong about. But I, I've never seen a crisis go on for so long where so few people learned the obvious lessons from it. You know, people, mm, when Iraq yeah. happened, People figured out, wait, wait a second, maybe this we fucked something up here in 2004. I mean, everybody turned on like, wait, wait a second. It is astonishing how unwilling we are to learn from it. And if somebody who wants to do social psychology on this, I would be really interested 10 years down the road what people write about this, of that there's so many like externalities, whether it's working from home, whether it's changing the way your life is to adjust to something that itself has adjusted, but you don't mm. adjust because your life is new and different and it is one in a state of perpetual panic. And that that panic just like plays into every aspect of somebody's life now, like vis-a-vis -vis their children, their job, where they live, what they do, how they interact with the world. They don't go out to eat anymore. They don't go to clubs anymore. Or they don't go to bars anymore. The fact that this still stuck with people, it has become some lifestyle change that people are somehow laundering through a scientific reality, which is not a reality. It's something that is paranoid and we reward paranoia. It's like when people are pregnant and they say, well, I'm not going to eat sushi. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's really a thing. It's like, well, abundance of caution. And you're like, yeah, that's really good. Because apparently every <laughs> fucking baby in Japan is deformed. But like, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm, abundance of caution. We give credit to people who take an abundance of caution. And then the mass of people taking an abundance of caution creates unbelievably bad policy and bad realities that have no relationship to the actual reality of the disease and of, of the virus. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm tired of all of this and we have to start calling these people anti-science uh, when, when they exist in this way of like Omicron panic. I mean, look at the fucking news coverage of this stuff. The cable news coverage is amazing. Some people have made some collections of these initial Omicron hyperventilations, which are embarrassing and people should be thrown off the air faster than fucking Chris Cuomo. Yeah, that was yeah. beautiful. Thank you. Well, plenty, plenty more um, for us to talk about um, on another time. We should probably punch out of here Yoko. now. We have to talk about Yoko um, next time. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> this is the this is the 41st anniversary of John Lennon getting shot in the back by Mark David Chapman. Yes. Uh, and under yeah. his arm was a single uh, by Yoko. That's, Walking on thin ice, the best thing she ever recorded. Yeah. Uh, which uh, was pretty interesting and pretty, you know, it was forward looking. I will say this on the, on the way out, um, something for you to listen to. Uh, it is on YouTube. The tape that was made by the journalist, the rock journalist, I can't remember his name, uh, the night, the day before uh, John Lennon was assassinated, uh, he went to his, uh, the Dakota and recorded a couple hours of an interview with him. And it's, it's on YouTube, the whole two hours. And it's really fascinating. And he talks about all these disco records that he likes and, I was really interested in disco and how he's not paying attention to music. And it's just a really fascinating um, um, timepiece. And, and I recommend listening to it. Do you know who's also 40 years old, which is how old that uh, John Lennon was when he was shot? Who? Beyonce, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and Justin Timberlake. Wow. You're saying they're all going to get shot? I'm saying. <laughs> is that what you're saying? They're yeah. coming after him. Yeah. Do you know something about, about Beyonce? Yeah. <laughs> This is the Listen. this is the McLaughlin group and predictions. <laughs> Who's gonna get shot? Matt Welsh, Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, wrong. 
<laughs> the answer is Justin Timberlake. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.